0: You have the word, I trust. You brought the word Exodus chapter 2, and we're going to be uh, picking up there around verse 11. But before I get to that, that's kind of, you know, towards the middle of our, our time that we're going to spend together this morning. And remember, we're looking at spiritual bankruptcy and seven signs to look out for. And we've been through three already. I've mentioned three. And so today is the fourth sign. And and I, I, I relate to it because it, it's... I mean, it's just reality. It is reality. And, and there are things that suck out of our, suck out of us the passion that we have for Christ. And there are experiences that, that take away this, this excitement and this love that we have for Jesus. And of course, it's the reason we gather and we have worship and we need to be renewed and we need to be refreshed. But there are things and experiences and emotions that, that take all of that out from us. And one of those, which is a really our fourth you know, sign to consider, which is disillusionment. Say that with me out loud. Disillusionment. My wife once said that I was a, a dreamer. I am a dreamer. I am a dreamer. In fact, people say, well, pastor, you're a visionary pastor. And I am. And I, I love the fact when I first moved here in the first six months, we gathered and we met out in the courtyard and the fellowship hall and we had a potluck and I handed out a bunch of surveys. Do you remember that? Raise your hand if you remember that. And we handed out a bunch of surveys and we had questions on the surveys and we, we talked about the future and we began to dream about the future. And I love stirring that up and I love, you know, being a part of that process. And we came up with a, a five year strategic plan and In fact, we're just kind of wrapping up the conceptual process of what our our master plan is going to look like on this campus. And and really phase one, which will be our our student ministry space, phase one and then phase two, kind of an open venue for multiple ministries there. And we're wrapping that up and we're getting ready for the, you know, 3D visual walkthrough. And they're working on that. And I'm excited about that. We'll roll that out probably midsummer or August or something like that. And I don't want to get down that bunny trail. But, you know, there's something about dreaming. I mean, how many know this? That dreaming costs you something. Dreaming costs us something. I mean, yes, it's a lot of money. I I start to have a dream and Heidi rolls her eyes because she knows it's going to cost something. I mean, dreaming can be very, very expensive. I understand that, especially as a church. But dreaming costs us more than money. Because dreaming costs us time, it costs us effort, it costs us great risk and sometimes even extreme disappointment because things do not turn out the way that we imagine that they would turn out. Dreaming costs us something, like the idea of dreaming that we'd have a certain job and we'd go to college and we get our degree and then we get our master's degree and we have this imagination in our mind or this dream in our mind that we'll have a certain job and then years pass, we graduate and years pass, And and reality bites because we don't have that job that we dreamt of having. Sometimes dreaming costs us something like when we dream or imagine that we're going to be a part of a particular professional group and time passes the years pass, and we're not a part of that, maybe that that people group or that professional group that we imagine be a part of or maybe even the work, you know, in the workplace, we have an idea or we have a program and we have this idea of what the program is going to be like. We're going to get everybody on board, but there's something happening. There's these hiccups and everybody's not getting on board and we're not getting the promotion and it's not happening and reality bites because you see the vision the dream it's just not happening maybe it's a sense of direction that you 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 dreamt that your family would go you you move in a certain direction and this is the kind of family that you imagined that your family would be and then time passes and you realize that you're you're missing the mark or maybe People only support choice opportunities rather than both the good and the bad efforts. And, you know, it's because of maybe leadership or whatever the excuse is, or or maybe you've invested in somebody a great deal of time and money and and effort, and maybe you're mentoring them. And then that key moment, they fall short and you realize that that you're disappointed You see, disillusionment is such a painful experience, especially when it touches our own life or family. In fact, by definition, here's disillusionment. And sometimes we use the word, we use the term wrong. We kind of use it in an opposite meaning, really. But let me define it for you. Here's disillusionment. You can fill in the blanks there. Here's disillusionment. It's feelings of disappointment because one has discovered things are not as good as one thought them to be. Let's read that again. It's feelings of disillusionment because one has discovered that things are not as good as one thought them to be and so we have these emotions. That begin to follow because reality bites and there's disenchantment and we're dissatisfied or maybe even depressed because we are defeated because we've had these, you know, these dreams or we've had this vision of what life was going to be like or marriage was going to be like or our our career was going to be like. And then we wake up and we realize that those things are not happening and life is not what it was that you imagine it to be. Maybe some of the etymology, of the word would help. I mean, if you look at the word, you go to the beginning of the word, it's dis, dis, which really means, it means reversal or a separation from. It's the reversal of the word that it precedes and the word is illusion. And illusion, it is, it is the idea of a, a false uh, interpretation or a deceptive impression. And it's it's the idea when you have an illusion, it is something that is skewing reality or skewing the natural order of things or even your priorities because, you know, you're living in a illusion. Now, now bear with me. Here it is. Here's the idea. People tend to have illusions about themselves and situations. But when they are disillusioned, their illusions go away and they see things as they really are. So, in other words, what happens when you're disillusioned, the curtain has been pulled back. I'll never forget that Thursday night. And we were pastoring in Florida. And, and our, our kids were, well, our two boys were at home still. Our, our our daughter, our special needs daughter, had become a part of a program. And she was there. And so we had, you know, Remington and Abram and our youngest boy uh, were at the house still. And Abram was maybe 16 years of age or 17, something like that. And, and uh, I'll never forget that night. Heidi had went to bed. The master bedroom was just off the living room there. and Heidi went to bed, turned live, closed the door. She's going to go to sleep. And, and Abram came to me and, and he said, Dad, I need to talk to you. And, uh, and I, so we moved over to the high bar table there by the kitchen. We had a big kitchen bar and high bar. T- we sat at the high bar table together. He says, I need to tell you something. Now, let me say something, you know, about a 16 or 17 year old saying, I need to tell you something. Now, when your four year old says to you, dad, I need to tell you something. It's cute because they're going to tell you something like I pooped my pants. Right. OK. But then when your 17 year old or a 16 year old says, I got to tell you something. If he says I pooped my pants, you got a whole nother problem altogether. So that's some other issues. But that wasn't the case. But for for Abram, he says, dad, I have to tell you something. And uh, and so. It's kind of terrifying when your 15-year-old or 16-year-old, you know, says, I need to tell you something. And you can imagine, Mom and Dad, what happened. My heart began to beat a little bit. My palms began to sweat. I'm sitting around that, that high bar table. I'm just waiting. You know, I'm waiting because I'm thinking, okay, you know, my illusions are going to be shattered because, you know, we have this beautiful little family and three kids and my beautiful wife. And the church was growing. And, I mean, life was good. I mean, it was sweet. It was awesome. And then my son, 16-year-old, says, Dad, I need to tell you something. And, and the shoe did drop. And Abram did share something with me that was, was a sin and it was illegal. And he had been involved in something? I mean, he, he began to kind of you know pity myself and, oh, what did I do wrong? And how did we fail as parents? But the Lord helped me as I directed back being a father, being his pastor, and working through that. But the reality was with Abram, he pulled back the curtain. See, he pulled back the curtain and, and, and all of my illusions went away and I became disillusioned. And my point is this, is that disillusionment is a painful experience. Often when that happens, we withdraw or we... We we never dream again because, you know, we've had these visions or these dreams of what things would be like. And we really, you know, take the time and we put out, you know, the effort and we really risk it all. Then we we're burned, so to speak. And then, you know, we never want to risk it all. We never want to put ourselves out there because we don't want to be hurt. I, I like the way one author writes about it. He says this. He says it this way. Dream deflation leaves large marks on the soul. Dream deflation leaves large marks on the soul. And the fact is it, it, it takes some time if I were to share with you all the times and the many times that I had these great ideas or I had this vision of what I wanted, you know, things to be like. And, and I began to talk about it and I tried to lead into it. And, and then life, you know, takes all of those visions on those dreams and, and life dashes them on the rocks of life, and maybe because of finances or resistance or, or whatever it was that, that crushed My hopes of making something happen or bringing something to existence that that was not existing before. And this can happen even in church. We can be torn apart by the status quo or we can be smashed by traditions. Traditions. Or pulled apart because of politics, or, or or not maybe wanting to give a you know power or authority or, or position or, or whatever it is. But but each time a dream is deflated, it hurts. And is it any wonder that as a church gets older and it becomes fifty years old and seventy five years old and hundred years old, we begin to be gun shy because we've had our dreams dashed upon the rocks of life over and over again. Maybe perhaps this morning Moses. Would be a good example of disillusionment. Because remember Moses, the baby in the basket, you know, in the river, and he was then raised as, as royalty. And then Moses grows up, and you remember at the age of 40, he became aware of the oppressed condition of his people, the Hebrews there who were in slavery in, in the land of Egypt. And, and he began to dream, he began to have a vision. Of the liberation of his people. But yet it was not God's time. It was not God's plan and the people were not ready. And we read about that in Exodus chapter 2, looking at verse 11. Again, let's go there this morning. Go to Exodus chapter 2 together. And let's be reminded of Moses and his situation and how he, you know, sinks into a moment of disillusionment. So we've Exodus chapter 2 beginning at verse 11 through 15. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating the Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian. Listen to this. He struck down the Egyptian, hit him in the sand. So what happens is he kills this guy to defend the Hebrews. And remember, he's dressed as royalty at that time. He kills him, and he buries him. And so, okay, now thinking that he's an advocate for his people... So when he went out the next day, verse 13, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? In verse 14, he answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? This is the man who made you a prince and judge over us. Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. So obviously Moses was shocked when he tried to facilitate the reconciliation between the two Hebrews and they rejected him because he's thinking, OK, it's the liberation of my people and God's moving me. And, and, and he's thinking, OK, this is the time. But he realizes that it was not God's time. And the people were not ready to follow Moses, and so they reject him. And you can imagine Moses feeling as he journeys into the desert as the heaviness upon his shoulders that his dreams of liberating God's people had been crushed. And in fact, as we read the story, and it unfolds before us, listen to this, it took 40 years for Moses to regain his nerve to hear the voice of God and bring the liberation to his people. Forty years. Ladies and gentlemen, when you think you're in the darkest place in life, when you think that you're in the darkest valley that you've ever been in, I want you to know this. That God is a sovereign God. And when you think you're in crisis, it's likely that God is doing something in your life. I want to have my wife come. and This is kind of a surprise, not to her, but to you. I want to have my wife come, and Heidi's going to share from her heart this morning about her journey and her testimony and I want to invite you just to hear as as Heidi shares this morning.
1: Well, I grew up in a Nazarene family, um, going to church every Sunday morning and Sunday night, Wednesday nights, and um, so I remember hearing about God and praying for forgiveness and stuff, and um, in junior high and high school. During school years, I would start falling away from God, not doing anything really bad, but like saying bad words and just having a little attitude and stuff. And summer would come. (laughs) Summer would come, and I'd be going to church camp, and I'd ask God to forgive me and start living my life for God again. And then the next school year would come, and down I would go again. And it went on like that all through junior high and high school. In my senior year in high school, um, I went way down. And a lot of things were going on in my family. I had an older sister who was into witchcraft. She worshipped the devil. She'd cut herself and write letters and blood. And for over almost a year, I felt this war going on in my heart. And I believe it was between Satan and Jesus fighting over my soul. And that Christmas, my senior year, I failed two classes that I needed to graduate with. And I was just so beside myself that I knew I probably wouldn't graduate that following year because of the classes I would have to take. And I was So beside myself, I looked up into the heavens and I said, God, you can go to hell. I'm living my life the way I want to live it. I just was tired of the fighting that was going on inside of me. And I just gave in. Well, I did what I wanted. When I wanted, I started lying to my parents, skipping classes, just really living life horrible it was to the point at times where I was scared to get in cars with my friends because I knew if we got in an accident and I died I wouldn't be going to heaven and but I did graduate um and that summer Tony came to my church he was our summer teen intern and the moment I saw him I fell head over heels over him I'm like, hmm. (laughs) So this bad little girl would come to church every single day, inappropriately dressed, come, come see this guy. And he would keep telling me, stay away. You need to stay away. You're going to get me into trouble. But I wouldn't listen to him. I kept coming every day. So he thought, I'm going to start preaching to this girl. So he would slowly start telling me about Jesus, and I started listening to him. And one day I just broke down crying, talking to him. And he um, he goes, do you want to ask Jesus into your heart and pray? And I'm like, yeah. So we went down into the sanctuary, to the altar, and we prayed. And for the first time that I ever remember, I asked Jesus in, to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins and um so then i started living my life towards god and living loving life everything was going really really good and my dad says well you need to go to college i want you to go to college heidi and i'm like i don't want to go to college because you have to go at least one year i don't care what you do after that so i thought hmm tony is going back to n for a year so i'll go to n for a year So I had no desire to go to school. I went just to be with Tony. And so we started dating in college and um, getting closer and closer. And he's telling me that he wanted to be an evangelist. That's all I remember him ever saying. And I thought, wow, that would be really fun. We'd be able to travel the world and go and preach places. And he talked about being a pastor every once in a blue moon. I'm like, ah. I don't want to be a pastor's wife. No. Evangelist? Yes. So we get married, and he, um, I can't remember if it was driving to Kansas City for seminary or shortly after we got there, he informs me that he's decided we need to be pastors for a while so his name can get out there and that he just really feels that being a pastor is what we need to be. And I started building resentment towards him because that is not what I wanted to be. I did not want to be a pastor's wife. It was horrible. You had to be in church all the time. <laughs> but it took a couple of years to get there. <laughs> we started having kids and Courtney, her disabilities started coming out. And I started getting more and more resentment. I had resentment towards my kids. Resentment towards Tony. Resentment. Our living situation. I was extremely spoiled growing up. And I had any and everything I ever wanted. And being married to a poor preacher guy. That came to a screeching halt. So I had bitterness for that. And. There were times where I was so mad at God and so mad at life and hated everything around me that a few times I prayed and asked God to kill me and just let me get out of this world. And um, it came to a point where I didn't want to be at church anymore. I wanted nothing to do with the Christian walk, Christian life. I just wanted out. And in our third church, Tony came across an old friend that he had kind of grown up with his, his parents. And he asked him if our church would do a lay witness mission program. And it's a three, two-night, three-day program where Friday it starts at like 7 o'clock and goes till 10 o'clock at night. Then Saturday you meet again at like eight o'clock in the morning and you go till ten o'clock at night and then you meet again Sunday and you're there from eight or nine to noon and then you come back Sunday night. And three months before that you come into these prayer cottages and you start praying for this lay witness mission. Well, the th- three months came to start praying, and I fought Tony tooth and nail. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. You have to go, Heidi. You're the pastor's wife. Well, you can't make me pray. I'm not going to pray with all those people. And he was so wonderful. He didn't make us go to just one of the prayer cottages. We got to go to two. <laughs> so. It was time for the late witness mission to start. And I got the flu. I was so excited because I didn't have to go. <laughs> so I get home. I left work early. And I told Tony, "says I can't go. I'm really sick. You're going. You're the pastor's wife. So I. it was summertime. I put my winter coat on. I was so cold. I was so sick. I sat in the back row with my hands crossed over my chest with a total attitude and I'm sure people around me knew I didn't want to be there and then the second day came and I was even sicker and I was so excited I don't have to go but Tony's like no Heidi you have to go you're the pastor's wife and in the mornings we go in these small people's homes and we have coffee and there's people giving their testimonies and stuff And God started tugging at my heart during those prayer cottages. And then we came back together for lunch and came back for dinner and went home. And then Sunday came, and God had been working on my heart all that Saturday and that Sunday morning. And Sunday night came, and that's the time that people... In the congregation. I belonged to the church. Come up and tell the church. What the Lord had done to them. That weekend. And I got up. And I walked up. And I. Went like this to Tony. And asked him to come up front. And I said will you please pray for me. And after he prayed. I looked at him. And I apologized to him. I said, I'm so sorry for not being the wife that I promised to be. I, prom- I, I asked him to forgive me for not being the mother to his children that I should have been. And then I looked at the congregation and asked them for forgiveness for not being the pastor's wife that I should have been. And that God has called me to the ministry and that I promised to do whatever God had called me to do, and will will call me to do.
0: Amen. And uh, in that point, yes, yeah, give her a hand. And uh, at that point, um, I, something—I mean, it was God because something clicked. And all of a sudden, ministry just began to flourish and God began to bless and everywhere we turned it, it seemed like God's hand was a part of it. And to say, I, I'm a little bit numb. Okay. It sounds like I'm a, a slave driver. I, I got that part. Uh, you're going, you're going to church. Uh, but, but she's, she's quiet and, and she does not verbalize what she's feeling. So generally, so I really didn't know the struggle was as deep and dark as it was until she got up. And went to the mic. So it's really unusual for her to go to a mic. She had never done that before. So that was just a shock. I mean, it was really out of box that she went to the mic to speak. And and, uh, and she it just unveiled all this stuff. I mean, she pulled the curtain back. And God did a work that changed our lives. And all of a sudden, our life just took a turn for the better And I don't know about what God's speaking to you about, but I know this, that Mission Church of the Nazarene needs a turn. And we need the Holy Spirit. And I don't know where you're at personally, but I know this, that God wants to give you a spiritual moment. And we need a spiritual moment, church. And I want to invite us this morning as we sing this song together. We're not going to sing. The (laughs) worship team's going to sing. (laughs) And uh that would be a disaster. The worship team's going to sing, and it's about fear it's about fear, and i don't know why we fear really fear responding to God. Respond to God, worship the Lord today and experience a turn and i don't I don't know you know if if our these conditions and what we're talking about is connecting. But the enemy is a robber and a stealer, and he is a liar, and he steals your fear, or he, he, he steals the truth, actually. It's the fear he puts in your life. But he is a liar, and, and in John chapter 8, it says that he, he is a liar, always has been a liar, will always be a liar. The enemy is a liar, and he's probably been lying to you about something. Well, I want to invite you this morning to hear the voice of Jesus, to hear the voice of God, of your Father. Realize that he loves you. He wants you to have a spiritual turn in your life. He wants to give you renewal. He wants to give you refreshment. And I praise the Lord that God did not give up on us. And if God can use us, I promise you, he can use you. And I want to invite us, church, would we respond to God this morning? Can we respond as we sing about chasing this fear out of our life? In fact, let's stand together. And and I, I don't know how to how we should respond right now because there's something about an action, you know, and sometimes you don't always have to take action, but maybe it's just a thought in your head. Maybe it's just a decision right now that you're going to say, God, I'm submitting to you. I'm tired of living in darkness. I'm tired of living in fear. God, I want to submit to you and you're just going to worship the Lord. Let's make this really simple. Let's make this really simple. As we worship, and I'm going to pray here in a minute, as we worship, and we're singing and you are feeling that you need to say, God, I want spiritual renewal. I want to make a turn. I want to choose you. I want to be refreshed. I want to have passion for Christ in my heart. I'm going to invite you right there where you're at. Just simply just lift your hand. I'm not going to look. I'm going to probably turn around here and not even pay attention because you're lifting your hand to God, not to me or the church. You're lifting your hand to God. It's just a simple movement That You can say, Lord, I want to be refreshed. I want to be a part of the spiritual turn here at Mission Church of the Nazarene for God's glory, not for yours or mine, but because we want to be a, a people that are united. We want to be a people that are passionate about loving Jesus Christ and serving him and following him. Does everybody agree with that? Can we agree with that? Our precious father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for stirring us up this morning. I thank you for touching our heart and speaking, Lord to our minds and challenging us father to just come come to you and to be renewed and refreshed by you to respond to you father in heaven and all the things that we do as a community here lord it all points in one direction it points to you god and we worship you father we want to glorify you and father we just invite you into our community here we invite you into to our church and i pray lord that you'd have your way with us I thank you, Father, for, Lord, the work that you're doing right now in that one heart. Thank you, Father in heaven, for bringing to completion what it is that you started in us. And, Lord, I know that sometimes it's a, it's a little scary to, to risk and to dream, to step out in faith, to respond, Lord, because sometimes when we listen to you, you ask us to do big things, or maybe little things. But what, Lord, whatever it is, I pray that, Lord, we would not fear. That we respond to you, Father. Renew our passion. Renew our hearts, I pray, Lord, as we serve you. Thank you, God, for giving us the strength to do that. We, we love you, Jesus. We turn to you, Jesus. We ask all these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.